and it writes the end. And you walk out, you're feeling, you walk out of the movie or whatever, and you're just feeling, oh man, that was so good. You know, they lived happily ever, the, you know, the bad person fell to the whatever, and they, they, they drive off in the sunset. It's, oh, it's awesome. It's wonderful. My mother took me when I was younger to see Terms of Endearment. I don't know if you remember that movie, but I hated it because the lady at the, die, at the end dies. And I'm sitting there going, what, what kind of movie is this? I felt like I wasted two hours of my life. You sit there and the, the, I want a happy ending. We all want happy endings. And if you were hoping for a happy ending in the book of Jonah, I am so sorry this morning to disappoint you. Because this, my friends, is not a happy ending. Chapter 3 for many of us, would have been a great ending to the book, but the reality is that was not the purpose of the book of Jonah. That's not the purpose behind it. The book ends with a surprise and a challenge to us and to our attitudes and perspectives. And I want you to keep those words in your mind this morning. Attitudes and perspectives, your perspective when it comes to life, when you're looking at all of life. The book ends with Jonah being very unhappy, to say the least. I'm going to read you chapter 4. But Jonah was greatly displeased. Let me, let me read the end of chapter 3. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. So that's the end of chapter 3. You're like, yay. Chapter 4. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Then Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine, and it made it, made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a, a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have any right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about this great city? (laughs) He's lost all perspective here. If you read from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 4, chapter 4 is amazing. The man has lost all perspective. You think, you would think that If you were the one, if God said, go and preach the city of Nineveh. Now, I'm not going to go back and give the whole historical background because we know that Jonah hated Nineveh. Understand that. But then in chapter 2, when Jonah went through that whole kind of revitalization, when he got thrown overboard and swallowed by the huge fish, you know, he went through a transformation where he had an eternal perspective. And now you'd think that after 120,000 people come to God, turn to God, that would he'd be filled with joy. But he's not. 
He's not at all. Jonah is ticked. I mean, that's the nicest way to say it. He is ticked off. Why? Because he knew that God would forgive them. He knew his God and he knew that if they repented, God would forgive them. And he is furious about it. Jonah is angry with God. He's angry with God's compassion. He is so upset with this. Jonah even says, he even says here, this is why I said before we left, this is why I, I tried to flee. This is why I didn't want to do it. This is the whole reason, Lord. You, this is, now you understand, God, why I, why I was so ticked off in chapter one, if you will, and why I wanted to get out of there and jumped on that ship because I knew this was going to happen. Right? Knew this was going to happen. Had it all worked out in my head. It's like the fourth quarter of a game. You see the other team driving down. You're up by two. You know they're going to kick that field goal. Ruin my day. That's what Jonah was saying. Knew this was going to happen. So God asked Jonah, do you have any right to be angry? And Jonah was smart enough at this point to hold his tongue. God's like, Jonah, Jonah, do you have any, any right to be angry about this? Jonah's like, it's like when your father, when you're a kid, and you get into an argument with your mom or something, you're kind of talking back a little bit, and your dad walks in the room, and he stands up, and he stares you right in the face, and says, anything else you'd like to say? And you're thinking, there's a lot of things I'd like to say, but I'm not stupid enough to say them. <laughs> with dad standing here, I'm not going to say them. That's what Jonah was like, you know? <clears throat> Got a lot of things on my mind, but I'm not going to say anything. At this point, you think about it, at this point, his experience on the boat and his experience in the fish are forgotten. And you think, how could he forget about that? But you know what? Years ago, I, I, I did a sermon on Jonah, and I just was like, how could he forget? And then I started, now I'm 50 years old now, and I look back on my life, and there are times that God did miraculous things in my life that would blow your mind. And then 25 years later, something happens, and I forget God's, God's provision way back then. I forget all the, I forget everything that brought, God brought me through and I'm at that point saying, I don't understand. I can't believe this. Why is this happening to me? I forget. I forget. Now, it wasn't a couple days ago. I was eaten by a big old fish or anything, but still, uh, you see the principle here. We forget what God has done for us. It's all good. It's all good when, when God saves him. You know, he's thrown overboard. He gets swallowed up. He's, you know, your holy temple. I look. He, it's all great when God saves him. But when God chooses to save his enemy, I'm telling you, all bets are off and he loses it. He completely loses it. I find this to be one of the most amazing, amazing chapters in the Bible. So Jonah, what he does, he goes to the, he goes, I'm going to try a little prop here, but he, you got to, you got to picture this. So God chooses to do it, you know, not to, not to get them, you know, not to send calamity on them, not to destroy them. So what does Jonah do? He goes to the edge of the city, gets out his little, you know, gets out, makes a little spot for himself. He sits down at the edge of the city and he just waits. Just kind of waiting. And you think to yourself, why on earth would he do that? Because Jonah was waiting to see if God would change his mind. He gets himself in a really good position. So when the hellfire and brimstone maybe come raining down, because maybe my God might change his mind again. Maybe they change their minds and some of them are acting up or whatever. And he wants a good place. He wants to get a really good place 
to see what's going to happen to the city. Can you believe this guy? He wants to see the city destroyed and he's looking for the best place where he can find. So if God decides to change his mind, he can be there to see it all happen. And that's that his that's his perspective. That is Jonah's perspective. That's his mindset at this point. He has he has he has a completely temporal perspective, an earthly perspective. When in chapter 2, he had an eternal perspective. He's able to step back and look at things from a broader perspective. But now he's completely back to where he was before. And what this tells me is that if we want to keep an eternal perspective, you want to be happy in life, have an eternal perspective. Don't get caught up in all the little do, the little two, tiny things that go on, every little thing that happens, because this is what happens to you. And if you want to keep an eternal perspective, you need to keep your focus on God, number one, and you need to keep your emotions in check. You need to keep your emotions in check if you want to have an eternal perspective. And you also need to look at life through a wider lens, if you will. See things on a broad, you know, the 30,000 foot view. You need to look at life from that 30,000 foot view, from that eternal perspective. How often do you and I lose our perspective in life? How many of you right now, sitting here right now, are angry at God? You're angry right now. You come to church because maybe you're with your family or maybe you just feel like, you know, all right, it's church. I got to go because it's a traditional thing you do and you're never going to stop going to church. But you're ticked at God right now because you prayed about something and God didn't do what you wanted him to do. And so now you're, you're not happy about it at all. Kind of a little, little bit like Jonah. You know, you've lost your perspective. You've, you've forgotten what he's done in the past. He's not doing what you're asking him to do now, and you're not happy about it at all. You know, often we get, I'm going to use the word ticked or angry, because, listen, think about this, because we look at life in snapshots, in sound bites, in talking points. That's our culture with computer. I'm, I'm nothing wrong with computers, but what we've done, even scientists have said that we've become very surface and our, our brains have rewired and become very surface because of all this. But we look at life in snapshots, in sound bites. We look at life in talking points. And, and the problem is we, we often cannot see the hand of God at work until further on down the road. And until we're looking at it from a broader perspective, we don't see God moving in our lives. Sometimes until, until further along in life, until you look back and you say, wow, that's amazing. I, I, didn't re- I didn't realize at that point, but now I do. I thank God that that happened. I thank God said no, that he said no. I thank God that he moved me in this direction because if I don't went down that trail or down that path or down that road, I would have gotten myself into all kinds of trouble. Thank you, God. But see, we don't do that. We, we, we live life in, life in sound bites. And so we don't look back that way. I was thinking about this week and I thought about pregnancy as a good example. What's a good example? I thought, stick with me for a second, pregnancy. So I have my daughter, Kim, and she's, she's, uh, she's pregnant with twins. And, uh, and I thought about women in general. I've, I've seen many of you go in this church go through pregnancy over the last 12, 13 years. So pregnancy, if you, did pre- if you took pregnancy, women, think about this, and men, you've, you've watched your wives, if you took pregnancy in sound bites or in snapshots, I'm not sure this would work out for you. Because think about pregnancy as a life journey. You find out you're pregnant, you're like, woohoo, I'm pregnant, this is awesome, this is great, I'm pregnant. And then all of a sudden, what happens? You're like, mm. 
I'm pregnant. <laughs> right? I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. Oh, you know, you're like, what on earth is that all about? I feel sick for weeks for a whole one of, you know, for one of the whole si- sections there. You're sick. If you're fortunate, you don't get too sick, but, you know, nauseous, whatever else. Oh, you're sick. And then all of a sudden you're over the sickness. So the sound first one's yay. And then it's like, oh, and then it's like you, you, you're over it and you're like, hey, I'm pregnant. And you, some of you don't look pregnant for a whole long time. OK, but you put those little shirts on. Guys will stand like this. To suck it in. You, when you're pregnant, you stand like this all the time. You walk around, look, I'm pregnant. Because you want people to think you're pregnant, you know, because you you're just started to be pregnant. You wear the little shirts and everything. And, you know, I'm pre- and you put a baby on board. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, <laughs> you know because you're happy, you're excited again. And then it's, then it's July. It's 110 degrees outside, right? The easting scorched wind is pressing against you, and and in the begin and, and during the, before that time though, it's like wait wait look look feel 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 them, her her, they're moving. You know, for the beginning, no one else can feel it. You know what I mean? It's like oh, I don't did you feel that? Yeah, I guess so. But at the but, and that's cool. But then you start everyone starts feeling it and everything. But don't, listen, don't go around touching people's stomachs all the time. It's like unless you're close to them, it's like hey, you're in the, the supermarket. Hey, how's it going there? Um, so then, but then, then they're moving, they're moving. Then all of a sudden, then the moving process, after a while, you're like this big and they're moving and, you know, things are happening. You don't want to happen and you can't breathe because they're moving up in your lungs and you're like, calm down, calm down. So there's this, and then, and then you go through the, then it's all of a sudden, it's time to have, give birth. And you got your husband by the face. It's your fault. Whose idea was this? You know what I mean? You grab him by the nose. You're, right? But then what happens? And you're like, ha this is the most amazing experience of my entire life. Woohoo! Right? If you took a snapshot of pregnancy in one of those dips, you'd never be pregnant again. If that was your experience, if that's what you did, you'd never be pregnant again. But, but what happens is you start to smell that baby. Once you smell that baby, all bets are off. Even if you haven't had a baby for 20 years, you smell a baby, you want to have a baby. Man, if you don't want your wife to have a baby, don't let them smell other people's newborn babies. Something clicks in their minds. Baby! They forget the, the, you know, the sickness. and all. So that's it. And that's what Jonah was doing. This is what he was doing. If things were up for him, fantastic snapshot. If things were down, oh, this is unbelievable. This is absolutely terrible. So God in his patience and his mercy tries to teach Jonah a lesson. He causes a vine to grow over Jonah. He caused him to grow that vine and, you know, that vine, he's sitting in the shade and, you know, and, and the Bible says that Jonah was very, very happy about the vine, right? He got that vine growing over him. Oh, he's very happy about the vine. Again, he's living in a snapshot. He's living, okay, if you will, in a circumstance. So when his circumstances are good, he's happy, when his circumstances are not good, he is unhappy. And then God takes the vine away. And God, on top of it, just to make the point really clear, he gets a scorching east wind and starts blowing on Jonah. And again, Jonah completely loses it. Listen to me. We've gone through this already, but I want you to get this in perspective. No joy, no peace, no contentment. Remember where they come from? Where do those things come from? Internally. Right. God offers us joy, peace and contentment. Not not with Jonah. Happy, unhappy, happy, unhappy, depending on his circumstances. He is 
furious. Now he's unhappy. When he had the vine, it was good, but God, gets, God takes away the vine and Jonah gets so angry that the vine is dying, has died. He is so miss, miffed. He wishes, he basically wishes he was dead. He said, I wish I were dead. Can you imagine? I, I'm so angry. I wish I were dead. God says to him, do you have any right to be upset about the vine? This time... The guy has the audacity to actually answer back. Yes, I do. I am angry enough to die. He has lost it. I am angry. I am so angry. Then God patiently explains to Jonah that he has no right to be angry about the vine. He says, Jonah, it isn't your vine. You didn't plant it. You didn't tend it. You didn't make it grow. You have no right to be angry about the vine. And God tries to explain to him. He says, you know, Jonah, if you, have, you think you have a right to be angry about the vine, then should I not be compassionate and be concerned about Nineveh that has 120,000 people? And then God gives a good description of the Ninevites. He says, am I not to be compassionate and loving toward a people who can't tell their right hand from their left? Look at you getting so upset over, the, over something so simple. It's not yours. You did nothing to receive, to, to earn this. I gave it to you. And you are so angry about the vine, you want to die. And then you're upset with me that I'm concerned about 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left and that I would show them mercy, that I would show them grace. God is saying to Jonah, how can you be so heartless? You're my prophet. I tried to teach you. I, I, I tried to teach you in chapter two. I tried to bring you about. I tried to bring you along. And I'm still trying to bring you along here, and, and you're just not getting it. Two weeks ago, we compared we compared Jesus and Jonah because Jesus does that in Matthew. We said that just as Jonah was inside the belly of a fish for three days, Jesus was inside a grave for three days. But here's the thing about Jesus: Jesus gave his life to save the lost. Jesus was constantly seeking and saving the lost. Jesus told a parable about about the lost coin, about the lost sheep, about the lost son. Jesus said that heaven rejoices when someone comes to when someone gets saved. That God, you know, we see God's compassion when when, when someone comes to know Him. That 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 God God's incredible attitude of just mercy and grace to the lost. What a contrast between God's compassion for the lost and Jonah's total lack of concern. No concern whatsoever here. Now, just for a moment, I want you to put yourself on a scale. Jesus is on one side of the scale and Jonah's on the other side of the scale. And as people, I know we like to think that we, you know, if we look at ourselves, we, we're, you know, we put ourselves in a little bubble. We look at ourselves. We all like to think that we have a real heart for those who are lost or those who are hurting, for those who, those who, are, who are needy. But ask yourself the question. Ask yourself the question. What are you doing? What are you doing to reach the lost and the helpless and those who are hurting? What are you doing besides, and I'm not going to, besides even the students, besides tweeting something that someone tweeted to you about child trafficking or, you know, or how many orphans are in the world or whatever else. That's just passing on information. I'm asking, what are you doing to have an influence on those who are lost and, and, and those who are hurting? Do you, do you invite people to church? 
Do you, do you share the love of God? Do you share God's love at, at school or at work or at home or anywhere? Do, do you think about, you know, that person doesn't know Christ and their life is just going down the toilet and they're really struggling or they just don't know Christ, period, and they don't, they, they don't have that personal relationship, that eternal relationship with Christ. And so I need, to, I need in some way share God's love with that person. Well, I have a challenge for all of us this morning who call Grace Chapel home. I know it's July, but I would like to see our church grow. It's been growing. I want to see it grow this summer. I would love to see people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior this summer. Summer's not a time you take off. I remember when I was in Marblehead, Massachusetts, there were people who basically, when June hit, they took summer off. It's like a summer break from church. And it was, it was almost shocking to me. And sometimes we think, oh, summertime, lull time. I, would, I want to challenge each one of us to see if we can, if we can bring people to, to come to know Christ, even, even this summer, that we can build our church, that we can get engaged, we can get more engaged as a body of Christ in the church and build our church. If you call Grace Chapel home, I would like to see you get involved in some area of ministry. In your family news bulletin, there's a blue piece of paper there. I want you to look at that at some point. And there's some things that we need right now. There are, every area, that's, those are just a few that we listed. There are so many areas of ministry where we need help. We want you to be engaged. We want you to be involved. We want you to be a part of what Jesus Christ is doing. He's doing some absolutely amazing things. So think to yourself, am I engaged? Am I involved? What am I doing to further the cause of Christ? You know, if we, if we, if we don't take up the challenge and reach out and serve those who are in need, then how are we different than Jonah, I guess is the question. Like if we're not doing Stepping out and taking the knowledge that we have and applying, teach and apply, teach and apply, teach and apply. If we're not applying what God has called us to do, then how are we any different than what Jonah is doing? You know, I, I, if, we think, if we think back, we go back to chapter 2 and remember Jonah's words of God's saving grace, it will help us have the right perspective. Let me, let me just read that really quick. Uh, chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. This is what happens after we get thrown overboard. This is where, this is where, really, where we need to be and stay. To the root of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up out of the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remember you, Lord, and my prayer rose to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with thanksgiving in my heart, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. That's where we need to be. That's where he should have stayed. Imagine if he stayed there and what, what God could have done in his life and show him 120,000 people. He could have rejoiced and thank God for the transformation and the change in the lives of 120,000 people. But he didn't stay there. He didn't stay there. He says that and then he could still have no concern for those in Nineveh. See, if we truly understand God's grace, I always want to bring it back to us. If we truly understand the grace of God that saved us, we want to see that happen in other people's lives as well. We want to see it happen in our friend's life. We want to see it happen in our family's life. We want to see it happen in our, in our co-workers' lives. My friends, we need to be engaged. I want you to listen to me very, very carefully here. What I'm saying to you is absolutely true. Every single person in this room is a missionary. And you're thinking, well, yeah, whatever, yeah, missionary, boo, 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 you're a missionary. No, you are a missionary. You're a missionary. You're a missionary to your school. 
And students, if you want to, if you want to learn more about what that means, we're going to be connecting tonight at 6 o'clock and we can talk a little bit more about what that, what does it mean? How are we going to train you to be a missionary in your school? Those of you in the marketplace with your jobs, your careers, you're a missionary to the marketplace. You're a marketplace minister. And we're going to have a class at the end of the summer, at the end of the summer, beginning of fall, for, to, to, to help you understand what does it mean to be a missionary in the marketplace, to be a marketplace minister. And, and we're going to train you and equip you to do just that. Really quick side note here. We, I got back from a trip. Chuck Prophet and I went on a trip to Washington, D.C. We were invited to this symposium of about 15 other churches that were selected throughout the country. And we were sitting down talking about marketplace ministry and things that are happening. And I sat down with two or three of the leaders. And one of the leaders, when we were finished, and we were not bragging, we were just sharing. But when we were finished sharing, one of the leaders said to the other leaders, have you ever heard of anything like that anywhere else in the country or anywhere? And the person looked back and said, absolutely not. I have never heard of a church doing what you guys are doing anywhere. Now, there are bits and pieces of this all over the place. But it was so encouraging to me to hear someone who spends their time in academia, really, searching and writing and saying that what we're doing here at Grace Chapel is very unique when you put Outwork on Purpose and Self-Sustaining Enterprises and Grace Chapel and all the pieces back-to-back all together. We're doing things really unique. I want each of you to understand that you are a missionary to the marketplace. You are a missionary to your school. You are a missionary to your home. We want to, we want to, we want to, we want to know that and understand that. You see, here's the reality. None of us should want to be like Jonah. When the scale, you want to be as much like Christ as you possibly can. I don't want to be like Jonah. I don't want to end up like Jonah. I don't want my chapter to end. Chapter 4, that's the chapter of your life and my life. I want to live my life with relentless passion. I want to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ more and more every single day. I want to be on fire. I want to be lit up and on fire for God. I want to have the heart of God. And you say, well, Pastor, how? How can we do that? How, how, how do we do that? As for all of you, how do we do that? Let me give you a quick illustration. If you, you know what a, a poker is, or those black pokers that you use to poke in a fire? If you want to get the, they're kind of hard, they're black. You know, they're black poker. You, you have them by your fireplace. If each one of us is that black poker, if you will, when you, when you come along with that black poker, you stick it in the fire, move things around, you pull it out, there's not much change. But I'll tell you what you do. When you take that poker, you lay it in the fire, and you keep it in the fire. You keep that, that, that poker in the fire, and, and what happens is that poker be, quickly takes on the qualities of the fire. You leave it in there, and, and, and the, the, the metal takes on the quality of the fire. It's not the same as the fire, but it takes you pull it out, and it's changed. It's transformed. It's red on the tip. There's a transformation that happens there. That's what we want to do. We need to stay close to God. We need to be thinking of the, the people that we know. Who do we know that needs, us, that needs God in their lives? Who do we know that needs to have a, a trans, the transforming power of Jesus tra- change their lives? You need to be praying specifically for people that we know who, who are not believers and inviting them and encouraging them. We need to do that. And some of you are thinking right now, yada, 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 I heard this all before, yada, yada. You know, yada, 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 that phrase has gotten a bum rap. Because there's a Hebrew word, it's called yada, Y-A-D-A-H, yada. And yada means knowledge that leads to responsibility. 
Yada. Yada, yada, yada. Knowledge that leads to responsibility. You have knowledge. You know the people around you that don't know the Lord. You know the people around you who are hurting. Yada. Jesus, in Luke chapter 10 and verse 25, he was confronted by an expert in the law and he was trying to trip him up. And he said, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus goes on in Luke 10, 25 to talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And as you read through that, at the end, Jesus says, which do you think? He says to the expert in the law, which do you think was the good neighbor? And the expert said, well, the person who showed mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Who was the neighbor? It was the person who had knowledge of the Good Samaritan and what he'd been through. And his knowledge led him to, a responsible, to be responsible. Knowledge that leads to responsibility. We have a knowledge, yada. We have a knowledge that leads to responsibility. We are responsible for those who are around us who don't know Christ. You are responsible. The person around you doesn't know Christ. The person around you is hurting is your mission field. You don't have to raise support to be a missionary. You don't have to be a minister like me to truly be a minister of the gospel. We are all missionaries and ministers in our area that God has placed us at P&G, in your, in your, in your own business. If, you, if you're a stay-at-home mom, we are all missionaries to where God has placed us. Yada, knowledge that leads to responsibility. We are responsible. The question is, my friends, as we close, what are we going to do with the knowledge that we have? You need to think about this. What am I, what am I going to do with the knowledge that I have. You're not going to get to heaven. And he's going to say, well, you know, don't worry about it. Hey, listen, if, 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 if the pastor didn't lead him to, to me, then that wasn't your responsibility. No. Yada. Knowledge that leads to responsibility. We all have knowledge of people who need help, who need encouragement, who need to know Christ. And we are responsible. What are we going to do? We are going to be in the same series, but we're moving to the book of Habakkuk. We're moving to the book of Habakkuk. We're going to start in chapter 1 next week. And we'll stay on the same theme. And things don't go the way we plan, in a sense. Let me read you Habakkuk, chapter, just the first part of chapter 1, just to whet your appetite. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abound. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Anybody ever, don't raise your hand, but anybody ever feel that way when they look at the world around them in their own lives? We're going to stay on this topic. We're going to stay on this theme. We're going to stay in this series. And we're going to answer that question next week. Let's bow our heads. Father God, we thank you for this time that we can spend together. We thank you, Lord God, for your word. And we thank you, Lord God, for the knowledge that you have given us to know people around us who are hurting, who need encouragement, who need financial support, 
who need emotional support, who need physical support in some way, Lord God. We know our spiritual support. We know people around us. And you have called us. If we have the knowledge, then we are responsible. It is not the pastor's responsibility to meet all the needs of the people in the church. It's not the pastor's or the staff's responsibility to meet all the people's needs within our community or within our nation or within our world. It is how we are the body of Christ. Yada. We all have knowledge. And that leads all of us to be responsible. Use us, I pray, dear God. Use us in a powerful way. We pray that we would be open, Lord God, to your leading and that you would be glorified by our lives. We give them to you, even this morning. If you would all just stand up, just stand up this morning. Just stand up as we close and and continue to pray. I'm going to close out here. Grab the person's hand next to you. If you you don't have to go across aisles, just grab a hand next to you. God, we are your body. This is your body. You have called us, Lord God, to do incredible things above and beyond what we can ever ask or imagine. And I pray, dear God, that together, as we link hands together, that you would use us from oldest to youngest to reach a lost and hurting world, that we would not end up like Jonah, but that we would become like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Have a great, great day.